Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, welcome back. Thanks for having me, David. Also happy to welcome back Lindsay Rittenhouse, a staff writer covering the agency's beat. Lindsay, always great to have you. Happy to be back. And we've also got first-time guest uh, Lisa Lacey, a staff writer covering the tech beat. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David excited to have you on. Have you ever been on a podcast before? Are you like old podcast hat? Uh, No, this is my uh, maiden voyage. Oh, well, congratulations. Glad we can uh, be be your first podcast outing (laughs) here. And we have got some fun stuff to talk about. We've got Lisa here to talk about a story she just did on Meal Kits, which, you know, we're one of the few podcasts not sponsored by Meal Kits, so we can just delve objectively into this whole issue. And this question of have we reached peak meal kit? Uh, we've also got some news from a major breakup uh, between a brand and agency that are kind of famous for their creative partnership. So we'll be talking about that and some other kind of great uh, breakups in the agency and brand history. We're going to talk about the ad worth watching this week. And then we're going to recap our uh, experiences at South by Southwest. We're going to have some of our staffers rotate into the show and tell us what they learned and what they saw and how crazy it was. But first, the news. All right. Uh, As I mentioned, Lisa wrote a piece for Adweek this week about peak meal kit. Have we reached it? And what I liked about this story is that, uh, you know, I guess I should take a step back and say when we talk about meal kits, most people probably know what we mean. These are the, you know, here's a bunch of ingredients. We mail them to your house so you don't have to be bothered to come up with recipes or do your grocery shopping or any of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there are certain ones that, uh, everybody kind of knows like blue apron and some of those, but man, it's a, it's a crowded space. And so Lisa, you got into that in terms of how many investment dollars have come into that and whether that trend is still growing and whether it's, uh, you know, whether sales are keeping up, there's so many players in this space. So let's kind of start there. Uh, you know, what did you find out in terms of how this, this group or this sub-industry has has grown in recent years? Well, I think that the number of people I talk to are, are collectively more pessimistic about the future of this space overall. Um, one of the analysts pointed out that it's, uh, it's a pretty small chunk of the uh, trillion-dollar grocery market as a whole. And within that very small chunk, there are, you know, something like 23 options and that there are very few things that anyone needs 23 options for. 
And I think that also sort of simultaneously, there's this like widespread panic still going on um, as a result of Amazon and Whole Foods and kind of what this means for the future of the grocery industry. And so um, I think that we're definitely going to see some more consolidation. Albertsons bought plated last year, I think. Uh, So you'll see more deals like that. And I think you're also going to see like Blue Apron announced uh, that they're going to be in stores as well. So I think you'll see some moves like that too with these um, subscription-based services going uh, to store shelves or like Marley Spoon um, uh, making themselves available on Amazon. Yeah, you mentioned that, um, you know, the, the growth, it's in some ways the numbers are really impressive, you know, that they had about $155 million in sales in 2017 on these meal kits. Uh, you know, as a startup industry, that's an impressive number. As a segment of the, as you say, the trillion-dollar grocery industry, maybe not so huge, uh, but it was a 26% growth. Now, you also looked at whether investors are still kind of backing these. That's always a good barometer of whether a whether something is a fad or whether it's going to keep growing. Uh, did it did it sound like investment has kind of leveled off, or are VCs starting to pull back a little bit on supporting these things? Um, you know, I wasn't able to connect with the Nat- National Venture Capital Association um, to dig deeper into that, but I think it was the the number of deals peaked in 2015 in terms of of the number itself, and as well as the capital raised, uh, and then it dipped a little in 2016, and then last year the number of deals was down, but the amount that they raised was up. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure what that means, but uh, that, that's what the numbers said. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I think you're going to see a few different factors here. Obviously, that it comes across in the article is that you've got consumer saturation. At some point, there's just too many options. Um, and some of those are going to have to start consolidating, getting acquired and all that. You've got VCs at some point are just going to say, you know, okay, we've got other hot trends we can be putting our money into if this isn't really going to return at the you know the 10x kind of uh, return that they like to see and then now you've got like you mentioned big players you got weight watchers and Walmart uh, getting into this uh, but that also kind of highlights that th- those are going to be in store correct those aren't those aren't like mail to your house those are these are kits that are in in stores for you to go pick up they are they are and I think uh, weight watchers and Walmart are two really interesting examples weight watchers obviously can tap into its existing user base, uh, 3.2 million subscribers. Um, Walmart also sort of has a captive audience in its stores. And Walmart is also at a, a much lower price point. I think it's 8 to $15 for two servings, which is like half the price of, of competing options. So, so let, let's take a step back and just talk to the panel about, have you guys tried a meal box, Tim? Have you ever used any of these food services? No, but I should. Every every other day when I don't have anything for the kids to eat at night, um, I'm like, why don't I have, why don't I subscribe to one of these things? My, my A bunch of people I know do. I just, for whatever reason, I just still like, you know, going to the store and, and, and kind of making it up as I go along, I guess. Um, and, and part of that, I think, you know, is the price point. You know, I think it, it is a little steep. Um, and it, my, my wife and I just have decided to not make that leap. Um, but the convenience factor and, and the way that it is set up is makes all the sense in the world. I just, we haven't gotten there yet. 
Uh, Lindsay, have you tried one? <laughs> yes, I uh, tried Blue Apron. It was expensive and it took longer to prepare the meals than I thought. So I ended up doing it for like two weeks and stopping. And I kind of agree. I like going to the grocery store and, you know, buying the little kits they have, like the uh, chopped salad kits. I like those. I mean, they're still convenient, but they're at the store. Yeah, I, you know, I am a, um, a huge cook. I mean, I, I cook a lot. I probably cook nine out of 10 meals in my in my house. We have two kids. And, you know, it's it's interesting reading Lisa's story and talked about how a lot of the people who are into these services are kind of foodies already. But it's a bit of, I, I'm guessing it's this crossover of you're a foodie, but not necessarily like a really active cook. And so for me, these services are kind of pointless because I you know, I feel confident enough to put these these kinds of meals together, and I feel confident that I'm going to do it much more affordably and with, without as much packaging and, you know what I mean, and like really have more control over the portioning and all those things. But, uh, but, but that said, I think it does resonate with people who wish they cooked more often at home. But that price point, you know, I tried to, I've tried to buy these kits for friends of mine who are either going through a severe illness or had a, you know what I mean? Or like uh, they have maybe a loved one in the hospital and I just want to help support their family for a bit. And man, you price these things out of like, oh, okay, I'll send them a few meals a week. And it's just like, holy cow, that's a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I can't imagine <laughs> if you're on your own, like fixed income, or if you're just, you know, kind of a in a, you know, early in your career, and it's just like, man, I, I just don't have this much to spend on stuff. So, uh, you, you know, the other thing too, at least I don't know if you really thought about this or if any of the panel has thoughts, but it feels like that the convenience of online grocery delivery or just grocery delivery in general is, you know, that's growing so fast. Uh, and I live in the suburbs. Uh, you know, I don't live in the city where it's been kind of probably normal for a lo- for a while. But this feels like a halfway point between those things, right? Like that the, I can see the meal kit industry kind of dying off simply because they meal kits become a part of online grocery delivery or, gro- you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was talking to an analyst from Forrester when the news came out about Walmart expanding its online grocery delivery services. And her comment was that, I mean, that this was undoubtedly a reaction to Amazon Prime now, but also that no one, Amazon included, has figured out how to do online grocery delivery profitably at a price point that consumers want to pay. And so um, it's still... People are, I mean, Amazon included, are kind of trying to figure out this space. I think Blue Apron putting itself in stores. I might have mentioned that already, but but that's an interesting move um, because the appeal of these subscription-based services is that uh, they're only buying what they need and they're eliminating waste. And that's one of the value propositions you hear from a lot of these companies. And when you're putting yourself uh, in stores and, and it's more of an ad hoc purchase, you um, you remove that that value point. Well, thanks so much for walking us through that. I definitely recommend everyone check out. You can just Google Adweek Meal Kits. Uh, You will find Lisa's story where she goes more into depth on this. But I also wanted to make sure we had time to talk about the agency brand breakup I mentioned at the top of the show. Harvey Nichols, a uh, luxury retailer uh, based in the UK, and they have been partnered for about 17 years with Adam and Eve DDB, uh, which is one of the kind of most noted 
members of the of the, definitely of Omnicom of the DDB uh, network of agencies. Uh, but really, I mean, Tim, I would say Adam and Eve is one of the more celebrated agencies around the world, right? Oh yeah, I mean, but without a doubt, the most uh, accomplished creative agency uh, in the UK, probably for the last three or four years, uh, maybe five years even. Uh, an absolute creative powerhouse over there, and this was one of their marquee clients. So big surprise. Yeah, so big stunning news this uh, in the last few days as we learned that Harvey Nichols had cut their relationship very abruptly with Adam and Eve. They got a new marketing chief. And as we see, you know, on occasion, this new marketing chief, one of the first things she did was to say, uh, we're killing the, this agency relationship. Usually that means there's going to be a review, you know, where they look at their options. Nope. They handed this one right away to TBWA London. Uh, TBWA in America, probably best known for Media Arts Lab and for doing a lot of work on Apple. Uh, but uh, they, uh, you know, we'll talk a bit more about TBWA in a minute because that's also kind of fascinating. But Tim, why don't you just uh, kind of help us by setting the stage of why was the work between Adam and Eve DDB and Harvey Nichols, like normally in America, we don't sit around except maybe at Christmas uh, with, you know, John Lewis being the only other exception, really. We don't sit around in America talking about British ad campaigns and British, you know, retailers all that much. What was it that made this one so interesting? Well, I think the, uh, a, a British word describes the work very well, and that is cheeky. Uh, you know, I think Adam and Eve made work for, for, for Harvey Nichols that was very, very provocative, uh, very funny, kind of, always kind of surprising, always a little bit off kilter, stylish, but also kind of goofy. It, it was a very strange kind of combination. Uh, and David, you actually put together uh, a greatest hits package this week uh, of of Adam and Eve's work for for Harvey Nichols, and I think that is pretty illustrative of of the kind of work that they did. Uh, in particular, the there was a campaign from 2012 called Contain Your Excitement, which uh, showed fashion models in their sort of typical sultry poses, uh, but they've got like wet spots in their crotch because they're so excited about the sale that's starting. Uh, and then the other, the really the two famous campaigns uh, were Sorry I Spent It On Myself from 2013. This was the holiday campaign that that kind of tried to convince people to go out and buy Christmas presents for themselves. And, and the, the ads showed them buying really cheap, horrible presents for their loved ones so they could save money uh, to go out on a shopping spree for themselves. You know, very, very against the spirit of, uh, of Christmas and, you know, really stood out in that regard. Uh, and then also the, the 2015 ad Shoplifters, which uh, really was one of the great uh, great ads of the last couple of years. It was. It was. It took uh, security camera footage, actual security camera footage, uh, of Harvey Nichols stores showing people shoplifting, and uh, superimposed cartoon faces on the perpetrators. And then at the end, you discover that it's a, uh, you know, it's a, a an ad for a rewards program, and it says you don't have, you know, you don't have to steal them. You know, you can get freebies this way. So, you know, really remarkable, uh, long-running client agency uh, team, and they did certainly some of the most eye-catching and talked-about ads of the last uh, 10 years over in the UK. Yeah, it's one of those classic examples of advertising for people who work in advertising. <laughs> like everyone who works in the ad industry absolutely loves uh, the Harvey Nichols work that Adam and Eve DDB has done. Uh, but as I mentioned, that era is over. Uh, and they very quickly handed the account over to TBWA London. Uh, now, they've had some interesting shifts. Uh, so, Tim, re remind us, uh, like in late last year, they had... Um, they had some leadership changes. Uh, so remind us uh, kind of what we know about TBWA London at this point. Yeah, I mean, they've had a revolving door for quite some time. You know, this is a very storied agency. Uh, you know, the 
I don't know if you remember, but back maybe 15, 20 years ago, they, they were doing some of the best work in England. Uh, they had the PlayStation account, which they they uh, had some very famous TV commercials directed by Frank Budgen, uh, the Mountain commercial, also the Double Life commercial. I believe Mountain was a Grand Prix winner in Cannes. Uh, they also did work for Wonderbra that was really famous, uh, John Smith's Beer. They, you know, they were putting out, you know, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, they were sort of a, a creative gem uh, in that market. Uh, kind of fell on hard times. You know, the last 10 years, they haven't done a lot of, of note. Uh, but uh, And so they really shifted. They've been shifting management a lot. But last year, in, within the past year, they've got a new CEO, Sarah Tate. They've got a new CCO, uh, Andy Jackson. They've got a new CSO, uh, Anna Vogt. And they're also sort of in the process of absorbing Lucky Generals. I, I think they're going to remain two different agencies, TBWA London and Lucky Generals. Uh, Lucky Generals being kind of an upstart creative agency, sort of like Adam and Eve was, you know, uh, 10 years ago. Uh, Lucky Generals did the Amazon uh, Alexa Lost Her Voice commercial in the Super Bowl this year. And so, you know, I think, uh, I think I believe it was the Lucky Generals uh, management team that kind of did the search, actually, for this new management team at TBWA. So they, they have some younger folks in, in the leadership now. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's some energy building there. And I think the Harvey Nichols uh, account being awarded to them is both a reflection of the excitement around TBWA London now and also, uh, you know, signals that they're going to they're going to be getting stronger and they're probably going to be a player to watch in the next couple of years, too. Now, Lindsay, I, I'm sure since you were kind of you sit right in the hub of our agency and, and brand coverage teams, what was some of the buzz around this? And, and I mean, do people the you know the as the news of this came down, you know, how did people seem to feel about kind of what this says about Harvey Nichols or about kind of the work that we can expect from them moving forward? Well, listen, I mean, first of all, I don't think this move was all that surprising because Deborah B, the new CMO of um, Harvey Nichols, she came on on March 6th, uh, worked with uh, TBWA London um, when she was at Rival Retail or Harrods. So I don't think the move was all that surprising. Um, But this definitely is about cost, I think. Um, She said something interesting to my editor, Patrick Coffey. Um, She said about this move, we are looking for an alternative approach to brand campaigns for a more targeted approach, which to me suggests this is all about cost. And that's the real concern right now. I mean, agencies are telling me, my agency, you know, sources are telling me that like pitches really are a about who can, you know, provide the cheapest um, option for them. So I think this just signals that that's, that's really going to continue. Yeah, the, the retail industry is obviously, you know, I was joking with someone only half joking that retail is one of the only industries that makes journalism feel secure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, I mean, they are in, uh, I, I, I have to admit, I don't really know the status of UK retail or high-end retail, but man, in, in America, it is just a crap storm on a level that, that you know, it's like people call it the retail <laughs> apocalypse. Look at Toys R Us. I mean, my God. Yeah, Toys R Us gone. And like, you know, so many retailers have gone into bank bankruptcy here. And so I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that it's pretty bad, hard times uh, all over. And maybe you just don't have the luxury of this really kind of high-minded brand work. I, I will say in, in defense of Adam and Eve that what's always been interesting about their work is that it has always had a very specific target. Like uh, Tim mentions the the uh, shoplifters ad was about their rewards program. And the uh, they did one of people called Love Thyself uh, with models basically 
looking like they were about to make out with themselves, uh, kind of a mirror image thing. It's really fantastic design, kind of unnerving in this in this certain way, a little, little cringy, um, quite controversial when it came out. But that was about their new um, you know, boutique three-story uh, cosmetic store. So, you know, it always had a pretty strategic point, but I, I think she also used the word effective in one of her quote. We're looking for an effective agency, and that's always like shorthand for, mm-hmm. you know, cheap yeah. and not necessarily. <laughs> going to try to sell us on 90 mm-hmm. second cinematic spots. Um, I did just uh, want to visit the Hall of Fame of some great agency client breakups. Uh, I have to start with Crispin Porter Bogusky and Burger King. When I personally got into advertising around 2005, this was the partnership everyone was talking about. Of course, they had made the creepy King, uh, but then they, man, they just started to do some incredible stuff, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's, they were the, Agency partnership, and I remember once again when they got dumped, uh, when Crispin Porter got dumped, we uh, we did a similar recap, except it was like the ten or fifteen spots that were the best because there were just so many, you know, the Whopper freak out and all these Whopper things. But Tim uh, Burger King obviously bounced back, okay, right, uh, with the work that they've gotten out of David. Sure. I mean, there were a few down years uh, in there, I think, but uh, David's doing work sort of on par with uh, with what CPB used to do, for sure. Now, what are, what is, uh, what's one that jumps to your mind right away, Tim, when you think of agency brand breakups, kind of at their height? You know, one of them that I really kind of mourned at the time was Wyden and Kennedy uh, and Target. I really thought that Wyden and Kennedy did some really wonderful work for Target, and uh I, I, I seem to remember writing a story that was like 125 reasons to mourn the Wyden and Kennedy target breakup. And I think we actually posted 125 ads oh my God. in the story. <laughs> which, uh, if you're going to spend a whole day putting together a story like that, that's evidence that you're a little sad about the uh, the news. We also talked about... Uh, <laughs> I think they're all 15-second ads, so... We also talked about uh, BBH and Johnny Walker, which is one where, man, the, the Johnny Walker work was just unparalleled in quality at the time. Yeah, for sure. The uh, the Robert Carlyle one being a particular favorite, which is like a five-minute spot um, with, with Robert Carlyle walking through the, the Scottish wilderness. It was all shot in one take, and it's the, one of the most incredible pieces of advertising film ever made. And still, it might be my favorite ad ever. Could be. Yeah, I feel. I feel like one of them. One of them. Yeah. You know, the recurring theme of a lot of this is just, and you hear this debated at can every year or at any award show is how much do the clients really care about these awards? Uh, and the answer is, it depends on the client. You know, for certain ones, it really is a statement of effectiveness, and for certain others, they honestly could care less if their bottom line is not being moved. Uh, you know, and, and for someone like Harvey Nichols, that bar is probably a lot higher um, because you're you're trying to get. Uh, you know, they use the phrase high end footfall uh, in in the quote in our story that that's what their their priority is high end footfall, which is an interesting phrase and I don't know exactly what it means, but I <laughs> I think it it just goes to show that they they have to operate in this concentric circles of uh, you know or these these uh, Venn diagram basically of uh, affluent shoppers who are willing to go to the store and physically be there. And these days, both of those can be in short supply. So, uh, well, it'll be fascinating to see what TBWA London does. I guess congrats to them and, uh, you know, condolences to Adam and Eve. It sounds like this was a pretty abrupt uh, announcement for them. So uh, be interesting to see what happens with both coming up next. All right. Well, let's move on to my favorite part of the show each week where Tim tells us about the ad worth watching. 
Uh, Tim, uh, this week we're taking a we're going back to spec, I guess you could call it, right? This one's a, not mm-hmm. a legit ad, but still pretty amazing. So tell us about it. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a little different, um, but I, I couldn't not uh, f- uh, focus on this one because it was just my favorite video of the week. Let's just call it a video versus an ad. Uh, it was a. Uh, please hire me a video from a, a copywriter uh, at the agency Firehouse in Dallas. His name's Chase Zreet, Z-R-E-E-T. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Uh, and Chase apparently has been long obsessed with uh, Sprite advertising, in particular the work coming out of Widening Kennedy, New York, on Sprite. And so he did this whole three-minute video uh, rapping about how much he loves Widening Kennedy and Sprite and would love to work there, and this is why they should hire him. Uh, it's kind of indescribable, but it's pretty cool. He's kind of wandering around town. He's wearing, uh, he, he, he wears a yellow, uh, jacket and a green jacket, uh, to, for this lemon lime sprite colors. And then when it alternates, when it's yellow, he's got a green lime hanging on a gold ch- chain around his neck. And when he has a, you know, and vice versa, and it's called Cover Letter, uh, which is a deceptively boring title for what is really just an absolutely brilliant video. Uh, maybe we could listen to a little, a little bit of Chase uh, rapping about uh, Widening Kennedy Sprite and his hopes for being hired. Hi, you probably never heard of me. I'm chasing, I really like to murder briefs. And the reason why I'm spitting with the urgency is I'm trying to write the copy for the currency. See, I really love the brand and I love the beverage. And I'm hoping that these corny bars will give me leverage. And you'll take a little chance on a dude from Texas. Let my carbonated copy be your refreshment. See, I got the best lines, call me Narcos. And I move the most skills, call me Barcos. And my copy of the bottle sliding off the shelves. You would think that lemon lime was a holy grail. I got pencils, Cleos, lions dangling from my chain. OJ's glove strips, tightest in the game And every single synapse firing up inside my brain Will have you thinking that the copy Christ just done came So the video was directed by uh, Jeremy Bartell of Charlie Uniform Tango And it's just, I don't know, I, I've, I watched it a bunch of times I talked to Chase about it, he told me You know, apparently a friend of his came up with this idea because uh, Chase is a big fan of uh, the rapper Vince Staples, and he's also, you know, a big fan of Sprite. (laughs) He actually drinks it. And this buddy of his said, you should should make a video of yourself rapping about Sprite. So he was like, wow, maybe I will. And, And, you know, he wrote it over, I think, two days. And, you know, and I think Jeremy Bartel came in and really sort of helped him focus the idea. Uh, he's on a, Chase is kind of on a hoverboard during the entire thing. So the way the camera work is, you kind of, the camera's pulling back and Chase appears to be just floating towards you. And I don't know, the, the lyrics are brilliant. Uh, everything about it was really, was really amazing. And as an ad, it, it worked because Widening Kennedy saw it and they hired him. And I spoke to Widening Kennedy this, this week about it too. And you know, he said, you know, uh, it was, I think it was Jim Lasser, uh, the creative director at, at Widening Kennedy, New York, uh, said that, uh, quote, the way he could float and rap at the same time was impressive. He also demonstrated a mastery of Sprite's brand color palette. I think he should re-release a subtitled version. That would be my first assignment to him, <laughs> which is true. Like, we, we, you know, it's it's sometimes hard to keep up the lyrics on this thing, but it was super funny, really, really well done. I mean, I, I imagine you could do this really poorly and it would be like kind of cringy. But it was a, it was like an amazing video in its own right, and it also happened to advertise him to the agency, and the agency uh, clearly uh, had to hire him because it was just such a, a well done production. 
All right. Well, thank you, Tim, as always, for dredging up the uh, best thing worth watching among all the ads we could be watching this week. And now it's time to move on. We are going to cycle out to uh, some new uh, colleagues, and uh, they're going to tell us about their experiences at South by Southwest. So, uh, Lisa and Lindsay, thanks so much for joining. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Take care. And now it's time for our big discussion of the week. All right, rotating in two other Adweek staffers, fresh back from South by Southwest in Austin. We've got John Tejada, and a, who is a uh, video guru for Adweek, and Katie Richards, a staff writer covering the brand marketing beat. Uh, John, this is your first time on the podcast, right? Yeah, it's my very first time. All right, well, welcome, man. You were doing a lot of fun stuff at South by, so I can't wait to hear the behind-the-scenes story. Katie, welcome back. Thank you. All right. Well, first off, uh, John, why don't you walk us through? How many of these have you been to before? Uh, this is probably my fourth South by. Wow. So tell me the what what stuck out to you in terms of the biggest difference between this year and previous years? Um, in terms of biggest difference, uh, I think the foot traffic was down. I think South by the conference itself, the attendance was probably a little bit down than in years past. And uh, when we go, we usually cover the activation angle. Uh, I would, I would probably say that most brands or entertainment companies, their spend was probably down as well this year. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and one thing we've been talking about quite a bit uh, in the preview, and then now, and and Katie, maybe you can tackle this: is is South by still a at least the interactive side? Is it still a tech conference, or is it starting to feel like something different? I think in some respects, it, it does still feel like a tech conference in some ways. Um, a lot of tech brands are still there. Uh, you know, like Sony had a big activation. Um, a lot of the tech companies uh, and startups have, have you know, events of sorts. But it really does kind of feel like more non-tech brands are, you know, building these big brand activations. So like Land Lakes, the... They're known as a butter company, but they're like a big agricultural co-op. They had a huge space this year um, and partnered with Microsoft and Nat Geo to build that activation. Um, Beautyrest had a big activation. DC Comics had a bunch of stuff going on. So it feels a lot like, you know, tech is still ingrained in South by Southwest, it feels like, but it's also becoming more of a place where brands that are not in the tech space are finding a way to kind of connect with this huge um, audience of people. Well, I feel like we have to talk about Beautyrest. Uh, yes. Of all of all the Instagram stories I was following from you, from Adweek, uh, from John over the over the the week, uh, <laughs> Beautyrest one <laughs> was just so freaking weird. And I think I even messaged you. I was like, I have no idea what's happening here, and I kind of just <laughs> wanted to wait and hear it from you. So tell us what this was. So Beautyrest partnered with this composer named Max Richter. Um, he's a German English composer and he created this eight hour song or piece of music, I guess, which is FYI now available to download on Spotify if you want to check it out and get a sense <laughs> of what it sounds like. Um, but it's eight hours long and he has started touring um, the world, kind of playing this for people. And typically when you go to the performance, you sit in whatever seats are available at the space that he's playing in. Um, but for this particular event, he partnered with Beautyrest and they set up 150 
uh, twin-size beds on the stage where he was performing. And so 150 people went, slept in a twin-size bed, listened to the music for eight hours. Um, and some people slept. Some people didn't sleep. One guy was snoring the whole time. And I was like, dude, I don't know how you're <laughs> snoring. It was very, very weird. Uh, but, yeah, it was kind of a crazy experience. John, were you at this one too? No, that was uh, invite only. I think uh, Katie only got that invite. We tried to do <laughs> a video about that, but uh, that that kind of fell through. Yeah, they wouldn't let. They only had official um, people invited to like capture footage of it. I'm not so official enough. Yeah, <laughs> I guess Total. not. So, Katie, you stuck around for the full eight hours, I assume. Yes, I did. I had my own bed. Um, I sort of slept, but not really. I think I fell asleep for a couple of hours, and then I kept, like, waking up and falling asleep again. It's just, like, very weird to be on stage with 150 (laughs) people you don't know, and you're, like, trying to sleep while music is playing, and, like, some lady was singing also. It was just very weird. I like the idea that if you had known the 150 people sleeping around (laughs) you on stage, it would just be way less weird. (laughs) I mean, it might have been less uncomfortable. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like sleeping in an you know in an open space is like such a position of vulnerability. I mean like I don't know how how did how did the whole experience sit with you? I mean, I thought it was really cool. It also just was kind of I mean strange overall because you are like people are sleeping, but there are still obviously people up and around like the video people that are going around capturing the entire thing and photographers are walking around while and like taking photos of you while you're asleep. So it was just like a very unsettling feeling. Um, But the music itself is like really beautiful and soothing and I could see myself like playing it maybe to help me fall asleep um, at some point. But I also just can't believe that this guy can play for eight hours straight in the middle of the night. It's kind of absurd. Man. So was it an effective branding uh, move for Beautyrest? Yeah. I mean, I think it made a lot of sense for them. Um, you know, obviously it was a little weird because you weren't, a lot of people weren't actually sleeping and their whole reason for being there was like, our beds will help you sleep better and like, you know, get a good night's sleep. And I didn't really get a good night's sleep. So that was a little, you know, jarring, but. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> they had, um, you know, they had branding on the beds. They had like pillows with beauty rest on them and like eye masks and blankets and a bunch of influencers were there taking photos and you could take the pillows home with you. So like it was nicely done from their perspective and branded very well, but it was just still, again, very weird. Very, very weird. All right, John, you got to go out to a DC activation, uh, the the comic slash entertainment company. Tell us about that one. Oh, so the DC activation was um, kind of the one of the last things we did. Um, that was very cool. It, it was... They had three actual Batmobiles there. They had a South by Southwest specific um, Superman um, comic book. They were uh, they were uh, teasing their new show on Sci-Fi, which involved Superman's grandfather called Krypton. So there was a lot going on. There was a lot of giveaways. That was probably one of the the more fun, interesting activation type things going on. Now, I, I saw you like on Instagram climbing into one of the Batmobiles. I mean, could people just kind of go around and climb in and out of those things or what, what was the setup? People could not actually do that. I started 
talking to people around, and it just so happened that the guy that designed the Batmobiles was there, and I stumbled across him, and I was asking him questions about, you know, the activation, who he works with, and uh, he was like, hey, man, my company designed the actual Batmobiles for the for the movies, and he was he was just like, you know, a lot of people think these cars are fake, but... Uh, if you want to, you know, if you want to prove them wrong, we can hop into one. I was like, dude, are you oh, serious? Man, that's yeah. so great. So he, he he guided me up the Batmobile. There's like a specific way to get into it. Um, you have to pop the, the roof off. You have to climb the door, jump down. Kind of looks like a NASCAR on the inside. And uh, once he started revving that engine... 25, 30 people started like cheering and clapping. I was like, <laughs> it was unbelievable because a lot of people think those cars are fake, but those were the actual cars used in the movie. Oh, that's amazing. That Man, look at that journalism getting you in the door, like ask, asking the right questions, finding the right people. Yeah, and once he found out that I wanted to talk about DC and comic books and Batman, he was he was all ears. He was just like, yeah, yeah, let me show you this and let me show you that. And I'm going to be at a... Uh, I'm going to be at the, the, the auto expo. And I was like, all right, man, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's, you know, every year we talk about trends, and usually it's some kind of boring tech thing. Oh, VR or voice activation or whatever. But it, the weird trend that, that you know, we has come up in conversation while you guys were there and since coming back is is this idea of, uh, you know, self-care, I guess, of, of just, uh, you know, we've seen this with apps like Headspace, which had a presence there, which we can talk about. But Katie, uh, tell us about this, uh, just how this manifests. Of it. it seems like there was a little more introspective, like, take care of yourself vibe to some of these. Yeah, it's, I mean, it seems like uh, self-care apps and the whole self-care space has become really popular in the past couple of months or years even. Um, and so it felt like at South by this year, not that I've, I've been in past years, but it just everywhere I turned, it felt like there was another activation or another brand kind of promoting people to, you know, take a step back, relax, uh, get away from like the hustle and bustle because South by is such a crazy event with so much going on and you're running around all over Austin trying to find people and meetings and it just seemed like more and more companies were kind of helping people along through the week and getting them to relax a little bit and take some time for themselves. So d- tell us about some of these. Um, did you get to go to the Headspace area? It looked like kind of a recharge room. Yeah. So in one of uh, the main buildings where a lot of the panels were, Headspace had um, like a breathing room, basically, where they had a bunch of stations set up with iPads and iPhones and headphones so people could go and there were like cushions on the floor you could sit on or like nice comfy chairs and couches and you just put the headphones in go on the app select you know a a 10 minute meditation session 20 minutes however long you had and you know I walked in and there were like 10, 15 people just sitting meditating. Um, And it was honestly, I did like a five-minute session, and it was really relaxing and kind of nice to go in and just take a break from everything going on. Um, And then, of course, obviously, they were also trying to promote their apps, so they were giving people um, a month free of Headspace to kind of test it out and obviously grow their user base at the same time. So tell us about the other uh, the other activation. I don't know much about this one, but you said it was kind of one of the last things you guys went to um, that was also in the same kind of uh, vein. 
Yeah. So there's a um, there's a company called Work Well Win, and they they're kind of all about designing um, like offices and workspaces that are kind of they like think about wellness when they design the space basically. So there's a lot of natural light. There's, you know, like meditation rooms, all this kind of thing. So they held, um, they had a space where they had massages and snacks and all that good stuff. Um, but they had a similar kind of meditation room and John and I both tried it out. Um, but yeah, maybe John, if, I don't know if you want to describe your experience and I can describe my experience, but it was like a very, different relaxing kind of vibe for South by. Yeah, sure. Um, the We'll jump right into the meditation. Also, they recommend getting a massage before a medi- uh, before meditating. Yeah. So, <laughs> so after you get your massage at this place, you go into this 18-minute meditation situation where you lay down on this couch and they give you like a gravity ba- blanket to, I guess, make you feel like a baby being swaddled um, and they give you like this eye mask and they give you these headphones and it, the meditation itself is focused on breathing and it's about how you, we work so hard every hour we should take 17 or 18 minutes to like clear your brain and uh, like kind of reset yourself to optimize your performance throughout the day and so this gentleman, I forget her, his name, kind of walked us through uh, 18 or 17 minutes of breathing. After that, you know, you slowly awaken and all your your scents are supposed to be heightened. And they give you like f- uh, three different pieces of chocolate from various pieces, uh, 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 places around the world. And then you follow that up with a lovely glass of Argentinian Malbec. Um, which was all surprisingly very, very good. Um, I don't meditate, and I woke up, and I kind of felt recharged, and I kind of felt like I could hit the ground running after, you know, running around South by for five days. So, Katie, what what was your experience like? Yeah, mine was similar. It's it's kind of crazy how, like, you know, I, we go to these events all the time and it's really go, go, go. And, you know, you get you get some time at the end of the day, but you don't really take a lot of time for yourself to relax and recharge and uh, having brands weirdly be there telling you to do it is actually very helpful. Um, and I kind of had a similar experience where when I came out of this 17 minute meditation, I felt very relaxed and like, all right, let's get going again. Um but yeah, it was it was also very interesting to hear the guy say for every hour of work you do, you should take a 17-minute break because that seems like a large amount of time that you should be taking as a break, which I don't think anyone really does. Um, but yeah, it was it was very cool to have that um, for us to kind of try out while we were there. And, it, you know, it's something I've noticed like every year I, I go to the Can Lions, which is a week long and crazy, as you two know. And every year I always look for the opportunities, not even so much to like meditate or, you know, just to like do yoga or work out or, you know, it's like these kind of you you expect that that stuff would be baked in a little better, especially later in the week when people are really crashing. 
Uh, and it's very inconsistent. It's very hard to find these opportunities. So I'm kind of glad to hear that events are, even if it's branded activations and not necessarily like a, a, a scheduled part of the event, uh, I, th- I think it does make a huge difference if you can make time to do that. Like, John, you're, you, you're pretty active, like when you go to can, right, about making time to exercise and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, I try to get a run in, but, you know, can is so all over the place. Everyone's running around um, from meeting to meeting and then drinking rosé till three in the morning. So it's it gets a little crazy. But, you know, when I can, I do try to get a little active. Yeah, I think it makes like all the difference. I just I become much more human if I've had time to just, you know, go do something and Again, it's really more about your head than your body. Like it's just about yeah. letting yeah. letting yourself out of it for a little bit, and and just giving yourself, as yoga instructors would say, permission to detach. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I yeah makes a big difference. Well, thank you both so much for uh, the the kind of uh, recap. Uh, really enjoyed following all your stuff. I'd encourage everyone to, if you Google uh, South by Southwest, SXSW and Adweek, you will find all of our stories that Katie and everyone else were filing uh, from Austin. Lots of great coverage. Thank you both. And we'll have you back on the podcast soon. Uh, John, glad you finally got your first appearance in after all these years. <laughs> Likewise. it's It's been a long time coming. All right. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was produced by Eric Wander. Please take a moment to review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new audiences discover the show. Uh, I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. 